When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will smart food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, an SB Nation blog dedicated to your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD, and I am finally back from overseas, back in the U.S., dealing with jet lag and a cold and all that, but uh, happy to be back with you this week, happy to be back home. The Blue Jackets did not have a great time in Finland. I did. I had a great trip. Uh, wrote about it for the site uh, on Monday, so be sure to check that out at jacketscanon.com. Talk more about the, um, you know, what the experience was like in the arena, what were some cool things that I was able to see in, in Stockholm, Helsinki, Tampere. But, um, you know, I, I left the hockey commentary for, uh, for this episode here because uh, the jackets are, woof. They're going through a rough stretch right now. Last time we talked, two weeks ago, you know, they're coming off that win over the Rangers in Madison Square Garden. They had won three of four games. They were almost to 500. And we were thinking like, oh, hey, they they got a shot here to, you know, turn things around a little bit or at least, you know, get to that sort of mid-level of being a 500 hockey team. But instead, they lost all three of their games before leaving on the trip and then got swept in the two games by Colorado. So they are on a five-game losing streak. And in those five games, they have not once held a lead. Uh, and actually, I think the number is something like 
230 minutes of those 300 minutes at least were when they trailed. So they've barely been tied even in those games. You know, other teams score goals quickly and then it's just game over at that point. Um, so that's, you know, that continues to be the frustration. The Jackets, in their nine losses, none of those have been by fewer than three goals. So they're not just losing, they're losing badly. And I think that's the thing that has us all the most frustrated, right? Like, I, you know, most of us understood that this team was still going to have issues, that this wouldn't necessarily be a playoff team or whatever. But the hope was that they could be, you know, at least competitive in games. You know, we would accept the losses, especially against good teams like Colorado, if they were at least close losses. You know, ah, you know, we we just lost by a goal or two, you know. Um, like, oh, you know, they put up four goals against us, but, you know, we scored three ourselves, we, but our comeback effort fell short, fine. You know, or, ah, uh, you know, we were tied for most of the game, it was back and forth, and then, you know, just gave up a late one, fine. But in this case, it's no. And, and it's the same issue we've been having all season. What happened in those two games where, you know, there's like at least a period in the game where you're like, ah, yes, the way they're playing is the way they need to be playing. And they're succeeding with that. But then they just can't sustain it. And I don't understand why. And it's really frustrating to see that because we know that they have the capability to be better. If you look on paper, this team should be better. This should not be such a bad team. This should not be the last place team in the league like they are now. But because they can't put things together consistently, this is where they are. You know, now the first game against Colorado, I actually was not too upset about that one uh, because I felt like it was a better game than they had played in the previous week. You know, they went down by three early, but they did come back. And that second period was a really, really strong period for them. And it included their first power play goal of the season. Finally, it took until the 11th game, but they finally got one and they had added another one that was uh, on a delayed penalty. So two goals at the man advantage. Uh, tied it up early in the third. And, you know, you're feeling pretty good about the team at that point. Finally showing that ability to dig out of the hole. Um, well, which I guess they did against uh, Vancouver and Nashville. But this is against Colorado, you know. And it's something that they did a lot last year. You know, last year was a team that was never out of it. You know, they could always fight back. But this team just doesn't doesn't have that, you know. And then Saturday, first period was really good. Got another power play goal from it that uh, evened the game up at one apiece. Because uh, that was case two where after Colorado scored in the first minute, I thought we have to get the next goal here. We have to. Because if we go down 2 nothing, it's going to be game over. So the fact that we got back in it was a really encouraging sign. And then uh, second period, we gave up like three quick goals and then for like the last 30 minutes of the game, it just never felt like there was any momentum being gained at any point there, uh, which was really, really frustrating, especially for me being in the stands for that as there's kind of the realization of like, you know, I spent all this money and all this time to fly across the world to watch 
this kind of effort, you know, now, you know, it wasn't just that. It's also the fact that anytime I'm on a trip like that, uh, when I get towards the end, I'm sort of in a bad mood anyway, you know, whether it's, you know, sad that the trip is coming to an end, um, fatigue because I don't sleep well on vacation typically when it's, you know, unfamiliar beds and all that, uh, with, you know, time changes and that throwing off the body clock, um, also maybe feeling a little under the weather because of, uh, drinking too much and too often for, uh, maybe eating too much or, you know, eating unfamiliar foods and all that. Um, so I was already maybe a little tired, so that would make me grumpy and the team's play, uh, certainly added to that. I just feel like this is a, a very soft team both mentally and physically. Mentally, for those reasons I said, where they seem to fold under pressure. Um, they lose their focus for a little bit. They give up a goal. Then they'll give another one and another one. Or even if they do sometimes get a goal, to, and you think maybe we'll get some momentum back, then again, they give up another one right away, and it erases any momentum they had. But then they're also physically soft. This is a team that doesn't hit. I think maybe sometimes they try to and they just don't make, you know, the direct contact or whatever. But a lot of times guys are just, they're trying to steal the puck with the stick or whatever, which I understand that you want to do that because it allows you to maybe get possession quicker if you succeed. Uh, But if you don't succeed, then it just looks like you're flailing around out there. Um, and, you know, a guy like uh, Erica Branson, you know, which we've talked about him a lot. I don't need to beat that dead horse. But, like, I was watching him play there in person again. Like, I don't, I'm not seeing him hit guys. He's a big dude. Like, I want him to throw his body around. I want him to be driving guys into the boards. And that's not happening. You know, he's trying to make plays with the stick or whatever, and he just doesn't have the the speed and coordination to do that. You know, and, and that wouldn't fly under torts, you know. The, under torts, the, the Jackets were a team that was hard to play against. Teams did not want to go up against them. Even teams that were more talented, teams that know that they could probably win the game, especially if they came to came down to skill, but they knew, they're like, okay, but it's going to hurt us, you know, or this is not going to be an easy one. Is there any team right now that would be afraid of playing the Blue Jackets? What about facing the Blue Jackets? would scare you, you know? We've got some good players that could score, you know? But I think any team would fi- figure, oh, well, you know, maybe Lionel Goudreau will get a goal or two, but their defense and their goaltending are both really bad, so we can score more than that. We can, they've got one line that can score consistently, and we'll just, out, we'll just outscore that. That's the game plan against us. Really nothing to fear at the moment. Um, And so with all this complaining, you know, we have to raise the question again, you know, should Brad Larson be on the hot seat? Now, do I think the Jackets are actually going to do anything about him now? No, I don't think so. Should they? Yes, I, I think there needs to be a serious conversation about that. Because I think it is pretty obvious that he is not the man for the job. Um, And I take no pleasure in saying that. I wanted him to work out. I think he's a good guy. Um, I didn't think that he was the right hire, but 
I understood why they went that route, and I was willing to be wrong. Um, the team overachieved last year. I think there was the right mood in the room, the right attitude, and that comes from the head coach, and so he did his job there. But um, now this is a team that had some expectations. This is a team that has a lot more talent on it, and he's not using it correctly. And even if he is not the main source of the problems, I think there are problems here that go beyond the coaching, but he is clearly not the solution. If he were the solution to their problems, there would already be signs of fixing it. I feel like things would be getting better and improving, and we're not seeing that. We're not seeing any corrections happening this year. What I see in terms of adjustments are... The minute things go wrong, he panics and he changes up lines, but he's not changing lines in ways that necessarily make a ton of sense to me. And I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure out what his logic is. Uh, I think a lot of it is sometimes comes down to having a lot of faith in the veteran players that is maybe not deserved. You know, Boone Jenner has clearly lost a step. Jake Voracek is not as good as he was last year, and those guys are still taking really heavy minutes. And I just don't think they deserve that anymore. I think they need to be playing third alignments for the time being. Um, the players who are performing the best, those are the ones who need to be also playing the most. Um, I mean, heck, look at what Colorado did. It's not like they were rolling four lines. Their fourth line was not playing that much. And it seemed like the McKinnon line was going out there more or less every other shift. I don't know if that's true, but that's certainly what it felt like. But yeah, Nathan McKinnon's really freaking good. Mika Rantanen's really freaking good. Like that line should be out there a lot. And they wrecked havoc when they were out there. So we should be doing the same thing with the players who are playing the best. Um, And that does come down to coaching. And if he's not deploying the players correctly, then he needs to not be the coach. Now, you know, you can make the argument like like Seeds has that, you know, hold on to Larson and assume that things won't change and that will give the Jackets a, you know, bottom five finish and a really good chance of moving up into one of the top spots in the lottery. And in what is supposed to be a pretty deep draft, with maybe at least three elite forwards at the top of it. So if we finish dead last, we're guaranteed a spot in the top three. So, you know, that would be a silver lining there. Um, My only concern in that case is I worry about what a lost season would do for the development of certain young players. You know, I don't want this to set back Cole Sillinger, who's already having kind of a rough year, or Kent Johnson, or, you know, Kirill Marchenko, Adam Boquist, you know, who would be nice to get something out of him. Um, But, you know, he's been a scratch and everything. Um, And I don't want this team to get used to losing. I don't want them to get used to playing bad defense. I don't want them learning bad habits on defense, which I feel like they are. So that would be my concern for leaving Larson around. 
But again, I don't expect him to get fired midseason because I think there's too much loyalty there on the part of Yarmo and the rest of the front office. Um, so I just don't feel like they would go that route. So the bigger question then is, you know, is Brad Larson still the coach, um, you know, next season? And I think if he is, that that is a mistake. And that would be a source of concern. Unless we see things change dramatically over the rest of the season. But I don't see that happening. Because um, it can be really hard to turn around after a slow start like this. Uh, Chris Palmer was a coach of the Browns when they came back into the league. And he had a statement to the effect of, you know, he compared the season to a runaway train. And this is a quote that got a lot of mileage. People lost their minds about it because they thought it was like the coach admitting that he had no control over what was going on. What he really meant, though, was once the season starts, there is a lot that's kind of set in place. and You can't do much to change. You know, the offseason is the time to make your big changes to the roster. But once the season starts, it is what it is. You can maybe add a guy or two here or there, cut a guy or two here or there, but generally you have your team. And in terms of new schemes, you know, that gets installed during training camp and preseason and all that. You just don't have as much practice time in season to be making major adjustments like that. So, you know, we made our changes to the roster in the offseason here. Uh, Larson and his staff attempted to install this new defensive scheme in training camp. And this roster as it's built, it's not clicking. And the defensive scheme, to the extent that there is one, is clearly not working. We just look so, so lost out there defensively. Guys just don't know what to do. Um, The first goal on Saturday really bugged me because it it was a two-on-one. And Nick Blankenberg didn't know how to defend the two-on-one correctly. And this is a problem that I've seen with a lot of Jack's defenders. When there's a two-on-one like that, you need to take away the pass. Leave the shooter one-on-one against the goalie. You know, now against Nathan McKinnon, you know, that's a tough matchup. But, you know, the odds are still in the goalie's favor to make a save if he is seeing the guy one-on-one, nothing else in between them. You know, even the worst goalies are still, you know, making saves on over three quarters of the shots they're facing. But instead, Blankenberg dove to the ground to try to block a McKinnon shot, but McKinnon had time and space to pass over to Arturi Lekkinen, who then had a much wider net to shoot into because Corpy had moved to the left to square up against McKinn. So, you know, again, that's just, I would say it's a rookie mistake, but Blankenberg is technically a rookie. But also, I feel like he's been playing hockey long enough that he should know the right thing to do there. The second goal in that game, uh, Andrew Peake made just a really, really bad sloppy pass from deep in the defensive zone, got turned over, you know, and then there was, you know, chickens with the head cut off defense uh, that led to the, the goal going in. Guys are making these mistakes. 
and even some of them who have not made these kind of mistakes in the past necessarily. And um, I, I, I don't know how they're backsliding that significantly, um, how this team continues to get buried so much in their own zone, how they struggle so much to just get the puck out, to make a decent pass, or to just, hey, you've got space, just skate it into the neutral zone at least, and then let's see what happens there. You know, from what we've heard, the, the scheme was supposed to be some sort of hybrid of a zone and man-to-man, and and I wonder if it's too complex, you know, that the players are having to think too hard about what they're supposed to do, and hockey is such a fast sport, you can't afford to think too much, you know, because if you spend any time thinking about what to do, it's going to be too late. You need to be able just to react instinctively. So if Larson's going to make any sort of schematic adjustment, I think it needs to be to just simplify it, make the job a lot easier for the players in terms of where they need to be on the ice and what their directive is to getting the puck and getting the puck up ice. All right, when we come back, I will talk about some some positives that we've had. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. So uh, as I had mentioned before, the probably the biggest positive to take away is the power play. <laughs> After it had been so bad and so ineffective and so unsuccessful. Now granted, there were some maybe unlucky bounces there. You know, there were certainly there were power plays throughout the season that had um, created shot attempts, just none of them went in. Or there were a couple of times where we scored you know, seconds after it expired. So it's the power play unit scoring, but, you know, technically the guy's out of the box, so it doesn't count as a power play goal. But we did get, finally, two real, genuine power play goals in these two games. Um, So that, I think, is a good monkey off the back. Um, And there were some other power plays that looked good. Um, A couple still that looked like stinkers, but... Um, that is encouraging. You know, one adjustment that I think was long overdue is in the Friday game, 
you know, Boone Jenner was not on the first power play unit anymore. It's, you know, Line A, Goudreau, Rozovic, Voracek, and Wierenski. Like, that's your best, those are your best players to put on the power play. Having a guy like Boone Jenner there, he just brings down the skill level on it, and and we don't need that. And Jack Rozovic has done so much to improve his faceoff percentage that you can trust him to be in there and taking the faceoff and they can get possession. So that works. That's great. Now, the the downside with the power play is in that Friday game, the Jackets were gifted a couple of double minors and they were not able to score in either case. And that's um, that's a real momentum killer. Uh, and one of those, uh, eventually then, Colorado was able to score after it and it's... Um, and the game was was over at that point. But I'm curious to see, you know, if they can build on what worked and carry that momentum into these games at home and hopefully the power play uh, didn't stay behind in Finland. Next positive for me, now that's just kind of a minor thing, but um, Liam Foodie has managed to stick in the lineup for the last few games, and I think he deserves it. I think he looks really good as a fourth-line player. And I don't mean to be damning him with faint praise, but like, no, he's effective. Uh, he's also played a lot on the penalty kill and has looked pretty good there. Um, his speed's a great weapon. Um, so in a lot of ways, he's a little bit like, like another Eric Robinson type player where the, maybe the puck skills aren't all there, but you know, he's big and physical and super fast. Um, so if anything, maybe he's a, he's the next Eric Robinson. Like we don't need Robinson as much because we've got foodie. Um, so that's something to keep an eye out for. But, you know, if you have a fourth line that has both Robinson and Corrali on it, I think that actually looks pretty good and, um, you know, better than having, say, Matthew Olivier out there. And finally, Jonas Corposalo. He made his uh, season debut on Saturday in his home country. Um, that was a very special moment for him. I'm sure a uh, relief for him to get back into game action after the hip surgery. I think that his teammates were really excited for him. He's been around for such a long time. I think he's a really beloved player in the locker room. And he played a pretty good game, which I know is weird to say when a goalie gave up five goals. But he had over 30 saves because the Jackets defense left him out to dry a lot of times. But he looked pretty good. So uh, that's encouraging to see. Um, so we'll see what sort of workload... Uh, Larson goes to with Elvis and Corpy. Will it be kind of an every other sort of thing? Because certainly Elvis has not played well enough to warrant the bulk of starts. So I think we might see a little more frequent Corpy starts for the time being, uh, at least as long as he's effective or as long as he is as effective as, uh, as Elvis is. So keep an eye on that. Uh, finally, this week, uh, there were some roster moves. So Gavin Bayruther had been called up as a, um, you know, just to be a spare defenseman as they were going through some injury issues there. Um, he was assigned back to Cleveland while they, while they were over in Finland. So it was kind of funny. There's the news item like, uh, you know, Gavin Bayruther's been sent to Cleveland, but like it's a paper move. He was still with the team. He didn't have to like pack his bags and leave Finland on Friday as the game was starting. But uh, so he is back in Cleveland, as is David Yurichek. He got to make his NHL debut 
uh, against Boston. So, and then he also got to play against New Jersey. It was good to see him play. Good for him to get that NHL experience. But um, with Nick Blankenberg getting healthy again, there just wasn't a spot for those two guys. So they go back to Cleveland, and I think Juracek, um, you know, can continue to improve as he has. And now he has that taste of NHL action and um, knows what stuff he might still need to work on. So I think that's that's fine for him. And then Daniil Tarasov uh, has also now assigned to Cleveland with Corpus' return. Tarasov was was able to still be in Finland because uh, teams are allowed to travel with a third goalie on the active roster. Uh, and as it turns out, Tarasov actually was the dressed backup for both games. Uh, Corpusala was not activated until the Saturday game. And for that Saturday game, Elvis uh, was a scratch. And uh, he actually came down to our section at one point. He was just sitting there with a friend, a uh, friend who may have been a bodyguard. I don't know, but he was just there in a suit watching the game. Um, not really talking to fans. Uh, fans generally gave him his space. I'm a little surprised more people weren't going up to him trying to get pictures or autographs or whatever. But um, yeah, so he was a spectator. I, you know, I wonder if, if he's going through any sort of injury there have been times where he seems to have some sort of finger issue and he has been especially vulnerable uh, on his glove side to letting in shots. So, um, you know, because Tarasov is effective enough because Corpy's back now, you know, maybe it's time to put Elvis on the IR for a little bit, you know, just to let something heal up if he's got a little bit of a nagging issue. It's not like a less than 100% Elvis is going to help this team get anywhere at this moment, you know? The other roster news is on Monday, Emil Bemstrom was recalled from Cleveland. Uh, it was not a surprise that he didn't make the roster. He had been look, he had looked unimpressive in preseason, and obviously he's a player who has never really clicked in Columbus the way that we thought he could. Has certainly never played to the level uh, that he was able to play over in Europe. Uh, we've always wondered if this is a guy that could benefit from some time in the AHL. And so far, that seems to be the case. Bemstrom is actually tied for the AHL lead in points with 14 points in 10 games. That's seven goals, seven assists. So obviously, that's been a uh, has to be a huge confidence boost for him. Uh, Mark Scheig at the Hockey Writers has a great article uh, about Bemstrom with an interview with him where he talks about that renewed confidence. So I'll uh, post that link in the description. Um, I'm curious to see how the Jackets plan on using him. Now they're calling him up. You know, a lot of his success in Cleveland has been in playing that offense, offensive first uh, top line role, power play role. Do the Jackets have a top nine or top six spot for him on the roster? Who, who is going to make way for him? Now, Jake Voracek didn't play Saturday. He's day-to-day with an upper body injury after uh, taking a stick to the face. Uh, Sean Corrales also, he missed the third period on Saturday after taking an elbow to the head. So either or both of those guys could be out. And certainly with Voracek, that opens up a spot in the top nine. So Bemstrom could fill that. And um, very curious to see whether his confidence in his production from the AHL does finally translate to the NHL this time. So that's something to keep an eye out for. 
All right, this week, the Jackets will be back at home on Thursday against the Flyers. This will be the homecoming game for John Tortorella. I'm sure he's going to get a tribute video. I'm sure the crowd is going to give him a big ovation. Uh, I know that I will. Um, and we'll see, you know, how the teams are, are ready to play in that one. You know, will the Flyers want to win one for their coach? Because you know Torch is going to want to win this game. And what will all of these Jackets players feel like about playing their former coach? You know, do they still feel fondly about him? Or do they feel they've got something to prove? I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that sorts out. And then on Saturday, the Jackets will travel to New York and face the Islanders. So these are two big division matchups. And the Flyers one again is, you know, I, I can't say that any game is a must win at this point or even a should win. Certainly can't say anything's a should win with how we've gone. But Thursday is definitely a could win. And it would be really important for the team's psyche for a number of reasons if they'd be able to win that game. Um, I just want to see... Again, production on the power play, carry that forward. Um, and just a better focus and sustained energy. Can they play a full 60-minute game? Even if they lost, even if they lost by one or two goals, but if they play a full game, that will be a sign of progress for me, I think. So um, I'll be back in the arena for that. Yep, I will have, you know... Traveled multiple time zones, traveled across an ocean to go see, you know, three consecutive games for this team. So you can't say <laughs> that I'm not a dedicated fan. Uh, I am certainly that. So thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Cannon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPerley.com for more music and show dates.